0: Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 30, the long anticipated episode. We've been teasing it for months. We're talking about design. Oh, yeah. So, all three of us get to talk about design. It is the best skill. Hey, Tanda, sidebar, real
1: quick. Yeah. Uh, I just. Um... I know it's episode 30, but he's already using design as his answer. And I, I, like, I just, he could have waited till that segment, but.
2: Yeah. I, I, don't know. What do you think? I no. And now we're, and now we're going to be so, we'll talk so much about it before we get there. I don't, I don't want to use it as my, as, as my skill yeah. ever again. So I think he's won. I think, right. I think PJ. Yeah. I think, I think he's
1: beat us. I think. I think we should retire design after this episode. Anyways, he's coming back. Here he is. Okay. Hey, Peach.
0: And so before we can get into the meat of the conversation, we need to figure out what skill class design is. Tanda?
2: Oh, yeah. We, we talked about this briefly. In, uh, and Tom and I thought design was, you know, maybe, maybe three. Um, but PJ PJ loves design. And he said not only did it have to be like an eight, he wanted it to be like eight to some power. So uh, yeah, so design is a skill class eight to the one half power.
0: Man, that sounds right to me. I don't know why you don't think it sounds right, as yeah. but uh, I guess that's kind of beside the point. Tom, yeah, what research didn't you do on design?
1: Oh, I did research.
0: Oh, buckle up. Oh my goodness, I buckle up. I'm, I'm ready. I'm 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 ready. Hit me. Do you know the story of the the Tower of Pizza? The Tower of Pizza.
1: Do Do you mean the or
0: the Tower of Pisa?
1: Yeah, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah. Pisa. Like the, the, the tower. Every pizza place you go into, their their little place cards have the leaning tower of Pisa on it, so therefore. By association it's pizza. Uh the design, no. I don't know the story. Let me explain. So it, it it when it was like discovered, I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but it had about a four percent uh four degree lean to it. And, uh, they actually, uh, around the nineties, 93 to 2001, they fixed it. It was, it was up to like five and 5.3 degrees off of square. Now what's weird is they fixed it, but, uh, it's like still four, four degrees, which I think is hilarious. They didn't fix it all the way. They're like, no, let's just, let's just keep the messed up thing. And it's, uh. What's interesting is everybody thought it was like the story growing up was like it was a bad foundation and it leaned during the building of it. But actually it had to do, it's a bell tower for the cathedral there. And it had to do with the bell ringing mechanism. Have you guys ever heard of this? No. I don't know if I've heard this story. No, you wouldn't because I just made it up and I didn't do any research. So Tanda, what did you find? (laughs) Oh, man. Should have known.
0: Should have known. I'm
2: really glad I didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I've I've heard all about that. Yeah. Because then, then, you know, you would have had me. I would have been trapped. So uh, I spent
1: 20 minutes thinking about this.
0: (laughs) Not surprised.
2: What I looked up um, was kind of uh, not necessarily superstitions about design, but design that's driven by superstitions. And so we've all heard about, like, not having a 13th floor or not having a a floor that's named thirteenth. I guess you almost have to have a thirteenth floor, and and another one that's pretty common is gar- gargoyles, and whether they their function came first and they were just architectural, and then all the superstitions started after, or if they were put there as guardians, and then the architecture moved forward. But there were two that I had never heard of as I was looking through, and one of them is our witch windows which are apparently in certain parts of the country, they have witch windows. And these are windows that are installed tilted. So usually between, like if you have two pitch, like a roof that has two levels, and so there's like an upper pitch and a lower pitch, and there's a window that's mounted sideways, like parallel to the pitch of the roof. There were some who believed that witches could not fly through this slanted window, and so they became known as witch windows. And there were other people who thought they were put that way so that you could move a coffin in and out. Like if somebody died, you could put them in a casket and move it in and out of the window. So those were interesting architectural designs influenced by superstition. And the other one, which is probably just because I'm not familiar with the South, is haint blue. And apparently it's a color of blue that keeps the haints, which were these evil spirits, away that people in the South paint their patios, and they used to paint window frames and railings and everything haint blue. And there are some who believe that it kept uh, insects away. And apparently there's at least one line of thinking that um, these were made with a milk paint and like crushed indigo plants or something to give it the blue color, but they were mixed in like just outside in pits that contained lime. And that actually did keep the bugs away. (laughs) Um, because the paint contained something that, that kept the bugs away. And now there are people who, uh, who say, no, it's just the blue color that the bugs are, you know, like it's weird for them to fly under something that looks like the sky or land on something that looks like the sky. And I personally think that's just perpetuated by paint companies who don't want to make lime based milk paint anymore. And so they had to come up with a new reason for people to still use their, their haint blue paint color. But apparently, it's still incredibly popular to paint the underside of your porch and railings haint blue, and I'd never heard of that.
0: I gotta say that haint the truth.
2: That ain't the truth. Are you calling me out on this? <laughs> no, this this that, this is actually actually a thing, and I had I just hadn't heard of it.
0: So, um, was was that everything you found, Tanda?
2: Yeah, that's. I mean, I, I found some other things, but those were the interesting things from what i found what what did you find pj i hope i didn't steal anything from you
0: well you stole the ones you said you know those those ones are definitely gone cuz i also looked up superstitions for design
2: oh well that's only four that's probably on, that's only four of the <laughs> of the thousands so i'm ready i've got
0: my drink well the the site that i was looking on was talking about superstitions for architectural design i found some of these things kind of interesting um like you were talking about the gargoyles on you know on like the churches and stuff like that, but it's i don't know how many people know those are put up there to scare away demons that's why gargoyles exist
2: or they're or they're cool looking water spouts
0: down right yeah. yeah that's that's exactly that's the other reason, yeah, so those are on churches, but uh, I also found something for mosques, and it says that there's a superstition that all mosques need to face Mecca or something bad will happen to the mosque. Uh, I find that interesting, that that's a, a religious superstition. Uh, there were there, There's a thing in China where uh, the roofs are all, they all have curved roofing you know, it's very common. Everybody's very aware of it with the pagodas and all that. And it's believed that ghosts and spirits could only um, move through the world in a straight line. So if they hit anything curved, it would deflect them or send them off in some way. And it doesn't stop with just the buildings. If you look at Chinese roads, the roads are all like squiggly worms to prevent spirits from traveling on the roads. (laughs) And... They showed this picture and I swear to God, it looked like, have you ever like cracked open like a piece of wood that a bug's gone through and it's like all these squiggly, crazy lines? Mm-hmm. That's what these roads look like. I mean, they just look like totally bizarre. And so when you think about it, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of yen or, or whatever is used in China was was spent on the, on superstitious roads that's i find that kind of interesting in addition to the fact that the 13th floor like tanda said is left out of many buildings for stoop for bad luck reasons uh in chinese buildings uh the english word for number four uh sounds like the word for die in chinese so any any floor that would have the number four in it automatically goes to like the next floor so the fourth floor becomes the fifth floor. The 34th becomes the 5th, 35th, and, um, you know, it's it, it's just, that's, that's, you know, switching cultures, but there's no, um, in Chinese uh, superstition, there's no uh, superstition about the 13, the number 13, but because it's a superstition everywhere else in China, they also do not have a 13th floor, <laughs> even though it's <laughs> not in their culture which I thought was kind of funny. Another superstition is actually feng shui. Because of how uh, feng shui supposedly creates a balance, when buildings are designed, they are specifically placed in relation to surrounding mountains, rivers, the ocean, so as to be oriented in the best possible harmony for the area, or it's believed that, like, You'll disharmonize where the building is and all the surrounding buildings and create like a lot of chaos, which that was interesting. And then um, the last little bit was on Mexican architecture. And if you look at a lot of their buildings, uh, it's based on the Mayans, which had a lot of slanting vertical designs uh, in their architecture. And it was based on apparently the mountains and how the mountains rose up towards the heavens and supposedly... There's a distinct correlation between success and strength of slanted mountains and slanted buildings. Wasn't really clear exactly what that was, but it is reflected in the building for the Mexican Stock Exchange, uh, the Plaza Moliere, um, the uh, Torre Insignia. There's all these buildings that are very well known that all have these pitched designs based on this one concept so a lot of lot more superstition in buildings than i thought
1: there's a lot of design things like that like you mentioned feng shui and the mosques face um mecca i wouldn't call those superstitions though those are cultural beliefs or uh religious beliefs um more than a superstition i mean i understand why they get grouped into that category but um there are reasons for that just like a just like a Catholic cathedral is shaped like a cross, or a hundred other things, um, in a in a cathedral, really, it's really fascinating.
2: Well, and some of it is functional as but, well. Like in the Navajo tradition, the hogans are always built six sided, which is somewhat a superstition, but the door is always facing the same direction, which can make it, you know, easier to. To heat and cool and as it has a function mm-hmm. so sometimes the kind of the what's a hogan how do you spell hogan h-o-g-a-n
1: i believe hmm. oh you mean a hogan
0: yeah yeah i i'm familiar with the the hulk hogan
1: yeah i'm trying to find those
0: i don't i don't know if he's superstitious though but to but to answer your your comment tom there are a lot of religious superstitions for instance you know crosses keep vampires away that's a religious superstition so there's totally. a, there's a there's a ton of superstitions with religions. But um, anyway, right. that's not what we're here to talk about.
2: Isn't it, though? No, we're here to talk about how these superstitions influence <laughs> all of our design.
0: Exactly. And I just happened to find a architectural design superstition, so that's what I ran with. Did you have something to add, Tom?
1: No, I looked up Hogan... Uh I've never seen this building in my life. It's interesting. I'm going to look it up later.
0: Is it like a sweat lodge?
1: Uh it's like a six-sided log cabin and I'm sure they made it out of all kinds of things over the years. Well,
2: it's the side, yeah, the sides are made of adobe usually of some kind or but it has a, the one, a roof, the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, they're all over here obviously because I grew up right adjacent to the Navajo reservation.
1: Yeah, I imagine this is the Navajo version of a teepee or a wigwam or whatever you know, does that make sense? Is that right? You think? Yeah. Yeah. No, that would be a good, okay, cool. a good analogy. And it, and it's
2: interesting through time, because obviously in modern times or in my era, there were still lots of hogans. I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be torn down. There were still people living in hogans or they had a hogan on their property. And so you would be out in the middle of nowhere, there would be a hogan and then there'd be a basketball goal and a satellite dish. <laughs> those were, those were like the fixtures. So kind of an interesting blend of tradition and modern.
0: Makes total sense to me. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Well, it's it's a split week this week. Tom had quite a haul. I had a micro. I, I got one thing. That That's all. So I, I... Where I live in the mountains of Pennsylvania... We've got feral cats. And last year we had a lot of skunks. And the skunks were digging up the lawn trying to get grubs and stuff. And you know what? Kinda had enough of both. The cats have been here longer, but with the skunks, I'm like, I need a trap. I need one of those safe animal traps so I can catch them and then like take them up the mountain ten miles away and let them go roam the woods, you know, where they belong. And I found this lady named Lisa. And she was selling a trap for 20 bucks, which is the cheapest I've seen because all the other ones I've seen were like 50 And I said, hey, what's up, girl? You think you could do 15 She's like, uh-huh, come get it. So I got it. So I got a critter catcher. And I smeared a little bit of almond butter on there, had it out there for a couple days, and I didn't catch nothing. Try sardines. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have any sardines.
2: I, I'm but... laughing because the, a friend of mine, has some rental properties and and one of his renters complained about skunks and so he bought a skunk trap and uh, and he put sardines out and and his renter would call him and say there's one in there and so we would go get it and then you know he didn't want to harm the skunk because it was, it was a live trap so we'd drive off across town over by where my sister lives there's this big open open area and we'd grab the trap and open up the door and then just kind of like, And No one can see this, but just imagine like you were throwing out a bucket of water, just like get the trap going and stop and get the skunk to go flying out of the trap. It would land like 10 feet away, a little bit dazed and then run off. Well, I think he caught every skunk that could smell and and like word got out because she just kept calling and he kept putting sardines in and he kept catching skunks until he stopped putting, you know, I mean, I think he would have just continually kept catching skunks with sardines. So I don't know if he was really getting rid of skunks or just luring all the skunks in Albuquerque to this one particular house.
0: <laughs> I'll have to get some sardines and see if that works. Um, nobody, they, I guess almond butter isn't their thing. But I don't think the cats here are that picky. Um, I don't know. We'll find out. As it gets warmer, I'm sure that uh, the smells will carry.
1: But, um, was it organic almond butter or yeah, just regular?
0: Yeah, organic. Okay. It's the good stuff um but i it was rain it's rained the last couple days so i had to actually pull it in and put it into the shed so that i didn't want it to get all wet and stuff um but yeah that was my only deal the whole week Um, there was a few things that popped up but they passed away they didn't they didn't make the cut um they didn't die i mean i just passed them up i said the wrong thing tom i know that you got some stuff to tell us about
1: yeah the 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 streak continues pj so i i made my final trip to the screw machine shop that was closing i've been there like every week for the last four weeks uh, this trip I took home two horizontal mills and a three-headed drill press uh, two of those machines are at the woodbury blacksmith and one of the mills is in my shop now
0: is is that a hydra drill press the three three-headed drill that's
1: No, I think it's a Medusa.
0: Medusa drill press.
1: Hydra from G.I. Joe? Was that G.I. Joe? No, Hydra from Marvel?
0: Yeah, like, you know, you you cut one head off, two more pop up. Oh, Cobra. You said there was three heads, right?
1: Yeah, three heads, yep. And five drills, which was weird. Okay, so yeah, so if you you cut one of those drill presses
0: off, then you'll wind up with two more. I mean, dude, you've got like a gold mine there. You can actually just start (laughs)
1: manufacturing drill presses. (laughs) I think so, I think so. Um, but the, the drill press was pretty cool. I mean, it had, it had its, it was massive. It was at least a thousand pounds. I think the giant table actually had a one inch plate bolted to it on top of the normal casting, which is, I mean, that's, I could look up how big that was or how heavy that was alone. I also got from there. I don't know if I talked about this. I got all, I got like a hundred plus gears From the larger screw machines that he had, there, there were two sets, uh, one for a New Britain model 60 and a New Britain model 61. New Britain is a town in Connecticut. They used to make these screw machines with like six barrels and they took two gears, one, uh, for speeds and feeds basically, and The spindles were fixed position, so the gears meshed together, and the two gears always added up to, I think, like 135 teeth. So he had every single set of gears all the way... I don't know what the smallest gear would have been. I haven't found it yet. Maybe like 15 or 16 teeth. So from 16 teeth all the way up to 135 teeth. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. For two different models. And these gears are solid steel except for like the one inch one and a half inch Arbor hole uh, the teeth are very small um, under a quarter inch tall for the teeth and the one machine the gears are an inch and the other machine they're an inch and a half thick. Wow and I took all of them I took all of them it, it's it's so many for someone
2: restoring one of those machines or wanting one of those machines that's that's amazing to still
1: have complete sets right. Um, we're going to make some twisting machines out of them for the blacksmith, uh, which is only two, maybe three, four gears, but the rest, um, I, you know, on eBay, a pair is like 130 bucks, but I have no idea if they've ever sold any, like I haven't researched it enough yet. So I'll, I'll probably throw them on eBay just to see if I can sell one or two pairs, but I got them all for free. Tom, um, I'm curious with the
0: screw machines, is, is this specifically for like, like making like wood screws or is this for making like threaded rods for vices?
1: So this is for making anything round is really what it is. So it's not just screws you're not just threading. In fact, a lot of times you're probably not even putting threads on these things. It is for making, for a really simple example, you could make bushings, but it would make like a bushing a second and like spit it into the parts tray. Does that answer it?
0: So it's for like manufacturing round things. Like it's for making multiples.
1: Yeah, I think these machines had a one inch capacity. So you can make anything round within an, you know, up to an inch round. Hmm. Uh, And it just, and it feeds bar stock through, right? From the... Yeah, you just shove it. You shove six 20 foot long bars into this machine and it just could chunks them around like a Gatling gun.
0: So would would it do the same thing like could you set that up to make like a giant threaded rod like like a, a an Acme thread?
1: I don't think you would do that on this machine. Um it's it's not I know screw machine sounds like it makes threads. It sounds like threads would be its primary function, but it's not. In fact, I don't think I don't know. I don't think it would be used for that. It wouldn't be used for very long pieces either. It's probably a part under three inches. So so are you thinking
2: you can feed stock through it and grab the end of the stock in like a fixed tail stock or something and twist it and and continually make um, or are you just using the pieces of it to make the twisting machine for the blacksmith?
1: No, I'm just using the gears. I don't have one of the screw, the big screw machines. Oh, okay. The screw machine I do have is a very small machine gotcha. for one okay, part. Okay, I thought the you time. were actually Sorry. going to use a screw oh, machine, no. Gosh, no. like
2: retrofit to be something that would make automated. That would
1: be an interesting exercise. Those screw machines are so massive. They're probably they're probably five thousand pounds. They have like a full on conveyor belt under them for the parts. They have, you know, they have like a fifty gallon oil tank for the coolant that pools through it constantly oh yeah even a modern day um, CNC lathe
2: with a bar feed connected to it is a huge chunk of floor space
1: right yeah Uh, I mean it would be amazing he was throwing out four of them in the end of the at the end of the day like he had to get out of there Uh, he sold like 15 or 16 of them but uh, four of them were going to the scrapyard which is such a shame I do have one more deal And so I bought those on Friday. I brought those home on Friday, brought the brought the trailer to the blacksmith after taking off my horizontal mill. And I was like, "Hey, we'll just take these other two machines off in the next few days." Well, I called them that night and I said, "Hey, we gotta get these things off of here." Oh, I'm sorry, the next day I said, "We gotta get these things off here." I'm picking up something. So on Sunday I had to get my tire fixed again on the trailer. Uh, I won't rehash the tire saga from. $50 The $50 Bridgeport, but like an hour before I head out to go to Saugerties, New York, which is an hour and a half from my house to pick up the thing I'm picking up, a guy contacts me on Facebook Marketplace and says, hey, I'll give you $900 for your table saw, one of my two unisaws, and I said, uh, I'd do 1000 it was like listed at ten fifty, I think. I said, I'll do a thousand. He goes, No, I'm like three hours away, I can't do that. I will give you I'll give you nine hundred and I could come right now, but I'm three hours away. And I said, before I said I'm not available, I said, where are you coming from? And he goes, I forget the town he said, but he's an hour and a half north of Sogrates, New York. And I'm going an hour and a half north to Sogrates, New York. So I said, A thousand bucks, I'll meet you in Sogrates. I'm gonna say Sogrates like nine more times, so just hold your Hold your horses there and so i load up i load up the uh i load up the trailer with my table saw i drive to soggerty's we meet at right off the exit off the new york Thruway and swap uh swap the table saw between our trailers and i head up to soggerty's to pick up a south bend nine inch r i think i think it's an r uh the lathe that i have if anybody's familiar is an is a south bend 9a There's, the letter series is a 9A, B, or C. This predates those. This actually predates the South Bend 10-inch lathes. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it is. But it takes all the same tooling as my 9, which I was really excited about. And what I'm really excited about is that it's a self-standing lathe. I don't need to make a table for it. And the base of this lathe is just like... It's beautiful. It's like this amazing old casting. It's got South Bend in the casting. There's a giant door on the front and panels on the side. And I'm just, I'm really excited about it. Uh, So I went all the way up there, picked that up. And then uh, we had a little drama on the way home. The uh, GPS took me to the Taconic Parkway. And I don't know, are parkways all over the country or are they just in New York? I feel like they're just in New York.
0: No, they're everywhere.
1: All right, so Parkway, you can't drive a truck or a trailer. So 20 minutes towards the Taconic, when I finally realized that it's taking us there, and we had to go through it, and we drove back roads for two hours to get home, which was not fun with an old truck and a trailer. But we made it. Well, I got to say,
0: you you you're like the king of the big machines at this point,
1: Tom. Yeah, that trailer was a life changer.
0: So when you get in the truck, you know, I know you're buying a truck. Come on now. <laughs>
1: no i actually i just try to give my so my brother has the truck uh it's still my sister's in my sister's name but i tried to hand him like 500 bucks the other day i was like dude i'm making money with this thing can can like you just go get it repaired if it needs a repair so he refused but we'll figure something out it's been it's been nice having both of those pieces of equipment
2: yeah i mean i i think i should um uh, get a trailer just for when the deal arises so I'm gonna w- I'm gonna wish at some point I had a a better trailer or a trailer that could haul equipment on. Yeah,
1: I really want to get an air tow trailer. The whole bed is on a hydraulic lift and it lowers to the ground completely, mm-hmm. like not on an angle. Yeah, it's like no, that'd be that sweet. Yeah, and. Their little their little promo video shows two guys with a pallet jack loading up like eight giant safes, wow. just no problem. And then they just hit the button and the whole trailer lifts up and you go. What do those run, Tom?
0: Like the small one mm-hmm.
1: is like nine or ten grand. Oh, that's that's yeah, that's not uh, that's not happening. You're gonna have to make your own. That's like that's like uh, fifteen lathes. So I'll buy one in like two weeks at this rate. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that's about right. right. So <laughs>
1: definitely. Oh, kidding. I'm
0: kidding only a little bit. So, Tom, um, I noticed something, which I I forgot to tell you about, um, because you you sold it before I could say anything. You had that Delta, the Delta bandsaw that was no stand, and you sold it for 150 bucks. Yeah. And I I, I didn't get to comment before you sold it. You you sold it with the retirement light on there, right? I did. That retirement Uh, light is worth $100 by itself.
1: Yeah, I think I knew that.
0: Yeah, so I I yeah. need to get my hands on a retirement light because I am going through the motions of building up pieces, and I'm going to start making reproductions. Like I have been. I, this is I've been researching this for weeks. Do you ha- Do you have a real one? I don't. I don't have a real one. I've just been oh, looking at PJ. pictures. Oh, PJ. Like I said uh, before, I, I could had one. no before I could say anything. You'd sold it, oh, and it was man. <laughs>
2: so I'm. I feel so bad. Well, you can you can go get it back, right, from the person you sold it to. You can you can call them up and say, oh, you know, I didn't mean to. Ah uh... <laughs> oh, man, don't
1: worry about it. Man. I'm pretty I'll find sure one. this this is time. This is a story for another time. But that light is in Thailand, like by now. Uh, no joke. So it went back to where it was made. Is what you... <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: going
2: no. home. It's going home. PJ, start looking. Maybe you can find the one that Tom just sold on eBay soon.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, uh, like I'll give you the I'll give you the guy's Facebook page. It's probably on there. If you
0: look at uh, if you've been following old timey tools this past week, he bought a Craftsman bandsaw, like one of those um, desktop ones. It was gold, and it's kind of shaped like a C. Um, it's like a wrap around, like a 1950s, and it had a retirement light on there. And he bought that and like a weird looking router table and a scroll saw. He bought all these tools just to get the retirement light so he could sell it for a hundred bucks. Wow! <laughs> yeah, he didn't want the other. No, tools. I kind of knew that that
1: the saw I had was in really rough shape. And honestly, that I sold the light for hundred and fifty dollars and gave him the saw. Yeah, like that's. I kind of knew he knew what it was, but he also spent like a lot of money with me over the last few weeks, and I'll tell that story in another episode. Oh, I got one more thing. Oh, you got more? Go ahead. From Yeah, sorry, for, from the South Bend 9-inch something or other guy. Uh he had a what is my sander called? You saw it, right?
0: Oh, the belt he sander. Did? Yeah, you got a you got a 6 Yeah, the Delta Rockwell. It's a Delta Delta Rockwell 6x48 belt sander. Yeah, that I've I've been trying to get one ever since I saw one like a year and a half ago.
1: Now, I think it's on a custom base. I don't think it's an original base. But uh, it definitely doesn't have the belt cover, you know that beautiful Delta belt cover they use on all those tools. Um, he pointed at it. He's he's selling a bunch of stuff. He had a South Bend ten K there too, which was awesome, but it was already sold. And he points to this sander and he goes, he goes, oh, I'm selling this too for uh, seventy five bucks. And I'm like, okay, like I just kind of like played it cool for a minute. And he's like, yeah, if it was the, if it was the one that had like the disc sander on it too for wood, but this one's just for metal working and it's not worth as much. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I just kind of like left it alone. We're like rigging up the other lathe. And I was like, oh, I'll take this too. Here's you know, like, I just handed him the money. I didn't even negotiate. Oh. Um, so he thought it was worth less because it was the metal one and maybe a little less potentially, but. It was still it, it was still like a really a
0: really expensive sander. So I totally would have jumped on that as soon as he said that it was worth less because it didn't it wasn't for didn't have the side sander, I would have been like, Oh man, I mean I, I really've been wanting one of those with a side sander. Could could you do like sixty? <laughs> <laughs> you know I told totally, anytime anybody says just, something like that I totally just drive it into oh, the, the ground.
2: Oh this is this is for metal. I don't really need one for metal. Like but I could yeah. maybe do 50. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the yeah. other thing. You know, I really I really can't use this, but you know, if, since you're getting rid of it, I mean, would you take 50? I'll I'll, I'll right. just throw it out right. there just 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 um. randomly.
1: You know what he would have done it. He would have, but I didn't need it. I didn't need like, I know that's like bad purchasing one-on-one, but I didn't need that break. I was already getting a deal on this lathe, I felt, and there was other stuff that I also might've bought if we had more time, but he was a cool dude. Um, he was a really cool dude.
0: The, the cool dudes are the ones that give you the best
1: breaks. That's what I'm saying.
0: Like, you always, you always take the break. That's, that's, so, and just so you know, <laughs> um, there was a guy that I was talking to that had five of these. And I believe that they were, they had the disc on the side and the belt and the table, but it was the square bodied base. They were like the newer version. He was out in California and I was engaging him. He was a liquidator of some sort. I think he had like five or six of them. And I'm like, oh man, I didn't know you were in California. That'd be too far to ship. He goes, no, I can ship it to you. I'm like, well, how much do you want? He goes, oh, there's seven fifty dollars a
1: pop. Wow.
0: And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's not happening, buddy. Sorry, that's way out of my yeah. price range. So here's, and just so you know, here's the thing that ruined this sander for me. The very first one I saw on Facebook Marketplace had the disc on the side and the belt and the cover, and it was on a table, but it was being sold with no motor, and the lady was selling it for $30. Wow. And I was like, I'll take it right now, and I was apparently second somebody else got to it before mm. me so i'm like i've been chasing oh, it ever since
1: you're cursed you're cursed now
0: well the, so the flip side of this is um i have been prior to seeing that i had been looking for one of the delta belt disc sander combos that's got the four inch belt the four by i don't know what is that four by 34 and then it's got the little six inch 48, disc, yeah. maybe 48 it's the little bench yeah. top model that everybody has and I had I had a Harbor Freight version of that that I sold, uh, the Harbor Frugier version, and uh, I because it was just it was a piece of garbage, and I've been looking for a Delta one ever since. And every time I look for it, it was like 150, 200 bucks. People are selling these things for. Now that I don't want it because I want the bigger one, I've already seen one go for 50. And today, today I saw a brand new. Shopmaster in the box that still had the strapping on it for 65 bucks. And it's not far. It's like 35 minutes away. And I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want it. It's just, it's not like I could go get it right now, but it's not what I want. I'm not taking yeah. it. And I say that. Taunts you. I say that, but even if I could get the one that you just bought, I have nowhere to put that one. <laughs> like there's no place for it oh. to go.
2: Uh, tarps are cheap. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before. That sometimes you've kind of coveted something so long that even once you get something better and you've completely moved on, you still have this something in you that that wants to get that thing just because you've wanted to get it so long, not because mm-hmm. you have any need for it anymore or you have something twice as good right. now. But but you've wanted it for so long, you still you know still want it. Well,
0: the thing that I need a replacement for now is the uh, the oscillating spindle sander because. I can't find a cheap like I've I've seen some in Connecticut for cheap like I've seen people selling them for like 50, 75 bucks in Connecticut, but everywhere in Pennsylvania they're two hundred to three hundred dollars for a Delta oscillating spindle sander, and I'm just like, come on, like hundred bucks or less. That's that's not too much to ask for, and I just have not been able to get it. I I sold my Craftsman oscillating spindle sander to uh to Matt from CMAT Make, and he was thrilled to get it, but. It had like one of those particle board tops, and the deltas have like that cast—I don't know if it's cast aluminum or if it's cast iron—but it's a nicer top. And they also have the vacuum bag on the back to catch all the dust. And the the craftsman doesn't; it just the dust goes everywhere.
2: Hmm. Right. Very cool. You should call your segment. I left with a saw and came back with a lathe.
0: With those deals hot enough for you. You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. Alright, it's time for personal history. Tanda, tell us about your design history. I'm trying to think of
2: what what I would consider some of my first designs. I mean, I've I've made things my whole life, and I don't know at what point there was like, you know, this planning and designing that went into it ahead of time. Uh, usually it was like from found objects or, or things around, but probably the first thing that I can remember that was kind of a, a design was, um, building an alarm for my door as a, as a kid, a, a kind of a burglar alarm or an intrusion detection alarm. And I had to kind of come up with a, with a plan for how to make it and then round up the stuff so there was a little bit of forethought into um you know what i had available and how i could make it and then certainly you know as i as i went through school and everything my design became a lot more um virtual design like software software design and and programming and stuff which is a little bit different than product development design and oddly that led to more physical design so i started out designing firmware for embedded devices which led me to wanting to make the devices themselves and so then I had to do, acquire design skills and modeling skills and and everything that went along with it to be able to make the things that I wanted to put the firmware into so ultimately I was I was making physical things with the idea of them housing my, my programs.
1: Hmm.
2: So that was kind of, kind of my progression through, through design, but it's kind of a tricky topic because design gets very specific quickly. I mean, when you are designing things, you, you get into clothing design or software design or architectural design. And so just as a catch-all, it's kind of, kind of difficult. You almost have to Pick a specific type of of design
0: well, tell us about your clothing design
2: my clothing design i've I've made very little very little clothing, but I did talk about my dad's uh you know skull pouch that's probably the at the peak of my my clothing design career i've I've made a few garments for myself um, which were which were laughable but but good attempts
0: so if you were if someone asked you what you design, what would be your answer? Like what, the first thing that comes into your mind? Yeah, I mean, typically
2: when people would ask me, um, what do you design or what do you make? I, my response in the past was, uh, what do you want? That's a good answer. Um, but uh, I, I would I would say that uh, most of the things I've designed are electromechanical in some way. They are something that... Has electronics software or or some kind of mechanism associated with them i haven't I've certainly helped people design things that are you know plastic chemical fittings they have absolutely no mechanism other than locking handles and no electronics but by and large, the things I've designed um, are audio video gear or something that has some tie-in with electronics.
0: So do you think of yourself as a designer or an engineer?
2: I I would say the things that I've helped people with, I would say I was doing product design, product design and development. Um, And so uh, it wasn't really an engineering task as much as it was coming up with a kind of a design for manufacturer task, which is kind of a whole you know, a whole sub-genre of design is designed for manufacture. Because there are many things that you could make, oftentimes make even better, a superior product, but it would be insanely expensive to manufacture. And so taking someone's product idea to a design that can be mass-produced or manufactured easily is uh, is an interesting design exercise. That is the prototyping process. Well, it's really... It, it really kind of follows the prototyping process. I mean, in my mind, prototyping is get something that works. And oftentimes the prototype might be really expensive to manufacture or to make. And then there's this second step of coming up with a design that's manufacturable. That, you know, and for us makers, I think that that's often a roadblock. Because we can make something in our shop that's really cool, and we think, "Man, I could make money at this." And then you try to make a hundred of them, and you realize that you would have to charge a thousand bucks a piece. And so then you go into this cycle of, "Oh, I could make it cheaper, but I don't want to make it cheaper because I don't want to make and sell a cheap one." And so that that middle ground of making something that can be manufactured that's still high quality is uh, is tricky. I mean, it's kind of that that whole thing like Jocko went through with the, the maker knives and stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a tough problem.
0: It's a problem I'm about to run into this year when I start working on these vices because they're gonna be manufactured, but I don't know, I think they're gonna be like a limited run. Like I, I'm not like, my goal, like I have three different vice designs at the moment, but let's say if I could do like 10 of each, That'd be a lot because I'm not looking to mass produce them. Like, I'm not trying to do like a hundred of each a year. These are going to be like hand finished. They're going to be like rare, not quite one of a kind items, but they're going to be like on that like upper cadre of like collectible vices that, you know, you could use it in the shop for sure. They're going to be fully functional, but they're definitely like. The Ferrari of vices. I don't, why did I say Ferrari? Lamborghini. That the Lamborghini of vices. Ferrari.
2: But find, if there's a if there's a market for it, if you can find a market for it, that's definitely a sweet spot because it's it makes it worth your time. And there are people, you know, Hillview Wooden Metal. Um, there are people who have found that that spot where they can make a super high quality, beautiful bespoke, essentially bespoke piece in quantities where it's a good. A good match with the market but it's tricky
0: well the one the one vice design i know for a fact is going to cross genres it's going to be like it's going to there's going to be people that might not even be into vices that would want this one and then the other two are going to be specifically towards people that are vice people we'll have to we we'll just have to wait and see that's right. uh, i'm gonna stop dancing around it and throw it to tom so tom <laughs> tell us about your personal history with design
1: yeah, I think most of my design, um, I share a lot of that on Instagram, and it's usually designed out of necessity for solving a small problem, sometimes a stupid problem. Uh, if you look on my Instagram highlights, I just double-checked that it's still there, but there's a there's one called The Beer Guard. Have you guys seen this? Say no, and then I'll be like, okay. No, I've seen it. Well, let me explain it. <laughs> yeah, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> But I had a I had a glass beer bottle in the shop and I was cutting stuff so there's sawdust and I was like, well, I want my beer to stay clean and I don't want to just put a little silly, you know, top on it or something like that that's going to fall off all the time. So I spent like seven minutes and I cut essentially a donut out of a piece of wood. I put that and it had a slit in it where the bandsaw went through and I put that on the bottle and you could kind of press it down and it was almost like a little springy. So it would grab the bottle pretty well, actually. And then I, I just like, I just had to make something out of what I had. Right. So then I did another small piece of wood that went on top to obviously seal the lid. And then I took a long spring and kind of wrapped it between the two pieces of wood. Um, and I can take the bottle, push the lid, out of the way with my lip, take a sip, and put it down, and then just like flick the the lid back on, and it's completely nonsensical. But I I, I like those exercises of uh, designing something quickly and effectively and functionally, uh, or and it's functional. Um, I mean, I have a lot of examples like that, but that's kind of that's kind of what I like to do. I like to make things for free and fast. Uh, even my my first. Well, even my first and second remote control lawnmower, I made out of garbage. You know, I had a a kid's power wheel that I ripped apart. I had a free push mower that I stripped down. So Tom, for for like the beer thing and the lawnmowers, did you design those
0: in your head or did you actually put something on paper? What was the process?
1: It's really building on the fly mostly, but you need to like, you know, you're still juggling all of the problems all the time. So you can't build one end of the lawnmower without thinking about the other end at the same time to make sure that everything's going to work right. Um, You know, even the, even the beer thing, I don't know. There's again, just building on the fly and it probably iterated three times before I actually finished cutting that first piece of wood. And then like you take that piece and you see it finally in the real world. And, and it then opens up additional possibilities of what you can then do with it.
2: Or or it constrains you. I mean, sometimes you yeah. iterate on a design in your head for a while, and then you decide, well, I, this is 80%. I'm going to start in on it. And you design that first piece, and now everything you make has to attach to that piece. It has to work with that piece that it, it sets a diameter or it sets a weight limit or something. And then you just become mm-hmm. more and more constrained until you get to the final,
1: you know, and hopefully you started with a good foundation but yeah right uh the only other design that i i do often is is through fusion 360 for 3d printing and there i just kind of jump into it really fast and build the shape of whatever it is as quickly as possible because i know that i will always draw the thing a second time Almost every situation I will I will make something and it gets so convoluted and there's like band-aids on top of band-aids repairing things and adding things that eventually I just have to wipe it out and rebuild it with better, uh, basically rebuild it because it's a parametric right. design program. and And like things you did on step one are now being screwed up on step 30, but if you wipe it all out... Now you did 30 steps in about four in, in about four steps, and it's just a lot cleaner and smoother. And then you can keep going from there.
2: I can almost always find a, a way to make something a little bit more simple after I've designed it in Fusion 360. And a really good tip that I was given a, a long time ago from, uh, or not a long time ago, but a, a, maybe a handful of years ago, from an engineer who used to work at, at the Skunk Works and did a lot of really cool uh, designs, and she told me, she said, when you start designing, just think about the object and look at it and think of nothing but where you can find symmetries. Just, is it symmetric about hmm. the middle? Is it symmetric about the top and bottom? Is Does the left look like the right? Does the top look like the bottom? And she said, you'd be surprised how many times if you just go through that exercise of trying to find all the symmetries, then that first sketch you make, maybe you make one sketch and revolve it and it makes the entire part but if you don't take that time to do that little bit of exercise, you find yourself building it vertically from top to bottom. And then you get done and you look at it and you go, I could have drawn one sketch along the side and revolved that around the
1: center and I would have had this entire part. A good example of what you're talking about is think about a wine glass. You have, you know, the base, the stem, and then the the cup. Right. But if you slice that down the center, it's basic. It's it's really a... It's like one line. I know it's like two lines Mm -hmm. with, you know, ends on them, but it's really just one, it's one profile and it revolves. Yep. And so you could, you could draw that
2: one profile and revolve it around the center line and have designed a wine glass. But oftentimes, especially when people are first starting 3D design, they'll do the base and then they'll extrude a stem and then they'll try to make a,
1: you know, the top. Right, right. Yeah. I, how about this? How many times have you started designing something and like, you're like 30 minutes into it and you're like, oh, this is, this is just a block of wood with a hole in it. I don't need to do this. <laughs> it just completely devolves. And like You're like, oh, this is a simple
0: thing. So I'm looking at that. Like when I first started looking at the 3D printing stuff, I, I like, I started going through files that I could download. And, you know, of course, anything you 3D print takes forever and i'm looking at some of this stuff and i'm like okay this file prints the entire thing that's that like i need however like 70% of this thing could be a flat piece of wood i don't really need to print a big plate of plastic i just need the thing that holds the thing at the right angle and i could just put a piece of plywood on here so it's like i'm looking at this and i'm finding this specifically with I printed several things that had the, their bolts and like threaded knobs, but, and I, I got it to, to work for the most part, but several of the things, the threads don't print right. Like they're not the right size. And I tried adjusting them one way, making them bigger, making them smaller. And in a couple of places, I just wrapped the threads in um, gaffer tape to take up the space and then threaded them into, cause that was, so I'm like, you know what? Why am I printing bolts? Okay, I could just go and get a bolt. Right. You know, I could find it. I've talked people down from
2: designs before where I was like, "Let's let's just 3D print the one piece that there's no way you could make without 3D printing, or that you can't buy, and not 3D print the whole thing." And I think I'm I think we've talked about it on the show before. But one of the things I made a video of years ago was like, if you don't have to 3D print threads. Um, I was prototyping chemical these same chemical fittings back in the day, and I was like, I need really nice threads. So I three D printed everything that was unique about the fitting, and just printed a smooth bore, and then pressed in a PVC fitting, and I had perfect PVC threads. Um, I mm-hmm. bought the threads and and then just you know glued them
1: into the rest of the three D print. A big reason why. That's the case. Is that a lot of people with 3D printers? It's the only tool they have. It's that's it. There's a, still a huge category of people in the 3D printing community that only have a 3D printer. They don't. They don't have any wood at home. They don't have a drill. They don't have anything. Um, and you forget. You kind of forget that sometimes when you're thinking in the 3D printing space. Right. I I agree with you, Tom. But the thing, like the two examples
0: that Tanda and I both gave have nothing to do with having wood. Like you just need an open mindset. Like I'm saying, use real bolts. You don't need tools, like right. just go buy the bolts. And Tanda's like, I went and bought PVC fittings. You don't need any extra, like, so this is a right. matter of just how are you designing the thing? This is what we're talking about. They're 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 so right. hyper-focused on everything has to be designed in the 3D environment and once you have that broad spectrum, like most makers, we're, we're, we're multidisciplinary, you know, uh, basically designers. Right. Once you have so many different other, let's say, tool sets, other skill sets, you realize that you can optimize it. You, like you can cut your print time down by like 60, 70 percent just by buying the hardware, you know, just knowing that that right. hardware is out there. Yeah, I think that in general, with a
2: maker, you know, a 3D printer and lots of other tools, it's a really good add-on tool or a tool that lets you do things you couldn't do before. So if you're coming at a, at it from a maker buying a 3D printer, it's completely different than someone who doesn't have kind of that making mindset and and maker bent mentality buying a 3D printer and thinking yeah. it's going to do something for them as far as design as far as design. It's not going to design anything for you.
1: They've never even been in the nuts and bolts aisle at a hardware store. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's really it. I get what you're saying too. Um, I mean, I'm in a lot of those Facebook groups and I'm like, just cut that out of a piece of wood. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're saying. Yeah.
2: I had someone who wanted, in the early days of my 3D printer, they wanted me to 3D print them a shelf, like shelf brackets and a shelf. Yeah. And the shelf brackets, you know, kind of had a, a somewhat unique design, but it it wasn't 3D printed, you know. I mean, it, it was something that, right. uh, that, that could be, you know, cut with a scroll saw or cut on a, you know, you know laser cutter or whatever. It was more, you know, if, if you told me you can make it however you want, I would have cut out a plank on the table saw and made the little scroll work pieces, you know, in some other way. I wouldn't have taken hours to 3D print them. Because there was nothing unique about them.
0: So when I was looking at that list of fifty interesting prints, there was a modular shelf system, and it was basically like a square that went against the wall. So so think of like a tic-tac-toe design, okay? So you had like all these squares. and each each square had a different shelf profile. Like one was like a regular shelf that just stuck out straight. One was uh, slanted. So that you could actually stack books on it and the books would slant diagonally to hold themselves up another one was curved so that you could put like a hat on it so there was like all these different profiles um, for these individually unique shelves and you could print you could 3d print the entire thing and it was big enough that like you could do it on even a small printer but i'm looking at this thing and the first thing that pops into my head is this is like a week and a half worth of printing. Like this is like you're just mm-hmm. going to go through like th- th- like two spools of filament and like most of this stuff is just like flat like you could just make it out of wood it's like it's no, there's no point to it other than if you don't have any other tool this could be done. I
2: just saw Alma at uh, Pink Soul Studios was hanging stuff on a kind of a unique kind of combination pegboard and slot and I don't know if it's a
0: was a wall control
2: yeah commercial system but if you were 3d printing specialty things for hanging your unique thing um now that i can definitely see where you're like making a 3d print that goes with some other system to hold mm-hmm. your unique tool or what you want to attach to the board um definitely yeah
0: well getting to my design i when i was growing up i loved graph paper and I used to design stuff on graph paper all the time, mostly spaceships, but my dad had a silk screening business and I was involved. Like, you know, I was, even as a little kid, I was hanging around like, what's that for, you know? And he's like, hey, if you wanna make a t-shirt, design one and we'll print it. And so I took one of my spaceships that I designed on graph paper. And, you know, we did a little reworking on it to to get it onto a silk screen. And then we made a shirt, like, and I think I'd put some text on it too, but I can't remember. It's, this is, I don't know, 40 years ago or whatever. That was probably the first thing that I, like, designed, and then something was made from the design. A t-shirt was made. Only one t-shirt, but, you know, the silkscreen still existed. I, I don't remember if my...
2: That's still very, I mean, that's still really cool. I mean, good on your dad for letting you go through the whole process and burn a screen and make a shirt, because that locks in some some really good maker skills early on
0: yeah yeah i i was never quite as good at it as he was he did it more than me so he was better at it and i was young but that was probably the first thing i'd say the next thing as far as like designing my brother and i used to build out of legos a lot and we oddly enough we did not like the sets like you know, you bought Legos in a set and it came with instructions on how to build something. And we always felt that they weren't um, interesting enough. So we would buy sets based on what pieces were inside the set so that we could then redesign it into something cooler. And it got to the point where we started, I tell you about those 24 inch by 12 inch pads that I used to get from my father. We started making pencil blueprints for these Lego designs, so that we could we had a way to build them, and then we could take them apart and then build other things, so we were we were making our own Lego designs um, for years, and I still have them like they're they're in the attic right now um, so that's I'd say that's probably like as a kid that was like the first design thing I did um without any 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 prompting or anything like that, and that was simply because we were running out of pieces. Like we would make things, and then there would be nothing left to make because we didn't have we didn't have a lot of Legos. But moving on into like you know, um, let's say college, the college age, uh, I had my own airbrushing business. So a lot of times I was designing things to airbrush for other people, and I don't know. I never really did well designing electronics. I could build electronics, but when it came to the design aspect. Something just fell apart, and I, I think that it was because of my my inability to fully understand why the electronics worked. I understood that they worked, but if you don't fully understand, like, okay, I know if I cut this piece of wood in half, I'm going to have two pieces of wood, and I know what to do with those two pieces of wood. Running the electricity through the circuit made it work, but I didn't understand the concept or or the the practical reasoning. I understood the concept. The practical reasoning just escaped me. And when you don't have that,
1: you just you just can't design something. Totally, I, I know exactly how you feel. Uh, I mean, we both did sales for a long time, and when you know a product inside and out, you are so quick to respond to your customers' questions or rebuttals, and you can just feed that information back so fast. And I'm I bring this up because you know your experience with electronics is similar to mine, where I'm like, I don't know how to manipulate these. Th- these components To work the way I want them to Like I, there's still A lot of learning I need to do there Where I can I understand what a resistor is Or I understand what a, a diode does Or you know all of these things And then I can start to manipulate them And, and when you break those things down Individually they're You know electronics is Kind of misleading They're, they're basically mechanical things But they they don't move Is that fair? Like there are things that do one thing.
2: I think a lot of things fall into that category for people where, you know, you have this thing and it's got a lot of knobs and dials. I'm not talking electronics. I'm talking an analogy. It's just got a lot of controls Mm. to it. And someone can tell you, you know, set control A to five, set control B to six, and look, it does this. But I think a lot of makers are not satisfied with like, give me a recipe and tell me how to set all the dials, figuratively speaking. I want to know why that dial does what it does. And I want to, you know, I want to be able to understand the internals or I don't want to mess with it. And so I totally get that. I, I just didn't do it because I didn't fully understand it. And I didn't want to go into it until I fully understand how it works.
0: That is operation though. Chanda. what you just described is set these dials to make so this, do this thing. That's how to operate something That a, so- You know, that is doable, but to design the thing means you have to go behind the dials and that's, yeah.
2: Right. And that's what I'm, I'm talking figuratively. Like if you, if you don't know, if you don't know how something is made, um, you know, you want to become a, um, a building designer and someone can, can give you the operational portion of it and give you a few little knobs to tweak. You can make this window this size or this size. It just doesn't have the same feel and the same draw as, here's a blank sheet of paper. Go go make this exactly to your liking.
1: Right.
0: There was, um, I talked to you guys on one of the episodes about the jewel thief. Mm-hmm. And this is a super simple circuit with, like, I think it's like five components. And there's, it works. I mean, it is a functional thing that, like, you could teach a four- or five-year-old how to build. It's very, very simple. But... The explanation as to why it works is widely varied because no one seems to have a firm grasp on what's actually happening. Some people are saying that there's like a uh the 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 the, the ferrite toroid causes a uh, some kind of electron breakdown which then actually lights up the LED Uh, When you know the battery doesn't have enough power to do it, and there's like all these sort of like theories, but no one. I
2: I think a jewel thief is just a kind of a flyback transformer with a toroid coil, and it can it can it can pull.
1: Yeah, PJ, it's just a fluoride toroid for with a flux capacitor. Duh.
2: It can pull uh, a very small amount. It can pull below the battery's. like internal resistance to slowly charge it up and then release that into so I don't think you're really getting something for nothing I, th- I think it's I think it's understandable
0: the point I'm trying to make is yeah. when I was deep into this thing, I was getting multiple different sizes of toroids and I was changing the amount of windings on the toroid and I was experimenting like I was full on in research mode trying to figure out how can I optimize this what is can I do it with a super tiny toroid? Do I need a bigger one? And by super tiny, I mean something the size of a Cheerio versus something the size of a half dollar. And I was I was like really like going back and forth, like changing the number of windings. And I was experimenting, trying to understand just how this simple process was working. And I never fully got to that point. Like I could make it work, but you know, was one more efficient than the other? Basically what happened was it would either turn the LED on or it wouldn't turn it on. That was, that was the results. And I, it's not like the LED got brighter. Probably the only difference would be um, how long it stayed lit, but that I think had more to do with how much was left in the battery, not how many windings were on the, the ferrite toroid. So the point I'm making here is the, that's like the kind of rabbit hole I go down. Like even with like simple circuit like that, I'm struggling so hard to figure it out. There's no way I could have designed that thing. I can build it and I can play with it, but designing is just beyond me. Let's move from electronics into probably the most complicated thing I've ever designed, which is the Japanese tea house shed. This thing is, the roof is probably the most difficult thing, uh, period. Uh, There was no way for me to design it. Like I could not put it down on paper. There was no process. Like I couldn't find anything online. I had to design it in 3D space by trial and error. And it was, it was just like, I had to make a cut on the saw, put the pieces of wood together and see what it looked like. And it was, there was, even like I thought in my mind, I'm like, okay, let's start with this degree of cut. And then I put it together and it was like completely wrong. And so sometimes when you're designing something, the process is literally fail until you succeed. And that's all you can do. You know what you want. But no matter how much you think about it, you have to iterate it until boom, okay, this looks correct. This, this is what I want. And um, it's still, you know, the roof is done for the most part. I do have to cover the main beam in cedar, but the actual structure is done. Um, I just need to do some some superficial stuff to the walls to make them the way that they're supposed to be. Um, but if you look at, I did a 3D model of the Japanese teahouse shed in my 3D program. And if you look at what I did versus what actually was built, there's a lot of similarities, but it's definitely different. It is not the same thing that I designed, like, I don't know, three, four years ago.
2: Right. Right. It's like a physical instantiation and proof that evil spirits can actually travel along curved lines.
0: Yes, that's exactly right. So I don't want my wood to be haunted, but it's probably going to be anyway.
2: PJ said his wood's haunted.
0: Yeah,
1: (laughs) I heard it.
2: (laughs) Sorry, Tom, I thought you were going to explode there, you know.
1: I was being so mature about it. (laughs)
0: sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial energy lubes and stuff.
2: Hi, y'all. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you working on a build that just doesn't measure up because you're building something of biblical proportion? Well, then you need to measure in cubits. Now, a lot of stores don't carry a cubit stick anymore, but we not only carry a cubit stick. We have Cousin Clyde's fractional folding quarter cubit. That's right. It's something you can measure cubits in that will fit in your pocket. It's the EDC of biblical proportions. And we have them now at Johnson's Hardware for just $19.95. If you spend another $10, you can get a fancy leatherette carrying case for it. And for an extra five bucks, you can get a red hide carrying case. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What well,
0: dag nabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for Crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with design? And you can't say design. Design! (laughs) I did it! We made it! Episode 30! Yeah, yeah. So you have like the plethora of skills. What goes well with design?
1: Let's see. Um, I'm just going to pull up the list of the last 29 episodes, and I'm just going to read from there all of them. Everything goes with design. I have to pick one? Yeah. Is flexibility a skill? Adaptability? Adaptability is a skill. Oh,
0: let's go. That sounds great. Let's go with that. How does adaptability go with design, Tom?
1: Well, we kind of talked about it already, how you start designing something, and then you it, you actually realize the issue with your initial thought, and then you have to adapt and change and modify and iterate to get to the finished product that you really are after.
0: That's very true. That's very true. Nailed it. You did. Nailed it. Tanda? What skill goes well with design?
1: Good job, Tom. I mean, like,
2: like on your second try, Thank PJ you. actually accepted your answer as a genuine skill. <laughs> that's that's good. Either that's good, or he has that's some really good. cool skill that he's just wanting to get to that goes with design. So Stop think, deflecting, Tanda.
1: You have to. It's your turn now. You have to say something. Oh, I have to real. say something.
2: I'm going to say mathematics. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, math skills go well with design. At least in my world, I think you come up with an idea, and then. Immediately following, you have to kind of ask yourself, but, but will it actually work? You know, will it, will it break? Will it fall apart? Will it fit? How much is it going to weigh? Do, does the math actually work? Or as my dad would say growing up, he, he put a pencil to it. Well, okay, that seems like a good idea, but let's put a pencil to it. And so you would work out, you know, the feasibility of whether it really made any sense or would
0: work. So I'm going to say math skills. For some reason when you talk about put a pencil to it, it makes me makes me think of why don't you think about it? That's that's what it sounds like to me. Well, did you think about it or are you just talking?
2: Yeah. Well I mean I that in some ways that's that's what it means. Yeah, that, that sounds that sounds like a good idea, but let's calculate how much it would actually cost, or how much it would actually weigh, or whether it would really hold what you're trying to have it hold. And you know, so in some ways it's like, Okay, let's stop thinking about it and and see if the math works.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to agree. Well, as for me, when I think about design, the first thing that comes to mind is drawing, because that's what I started with. When I was designing things, I was drawing them. And so if you you could draw well, you
1: could design
0: well. It's, it's, that's how you translate. T-
1: Tanda. Tanda. Uh, sidebar real quick.. Yeah. Uh, we did an episode on drawing, right? I think we did. yeah what are the what are the chances? He said design in that episode? for pairing well with drawing i i think it's one in three right or, or maybe more Because pj th- said design all <laughs> but three times right for his skill pairing right in one way or another i mean he said i mean there was that one time he said reading um so i mean i'm pretty sure drawing is the new design i think he
2: needs to pick something else i think drawing is going to be the next uh like default default
1: uh pairing skill oh i don't you know what i just i give up i don't even care Let's just let him run with it. Whatever he says is fine, right? Oh, of, of course. Yeah. Oh, he's, got, he's here he is. He's coming back. So drawing, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, and the rapidograph pens are great for drawing. So that that just mm. kind of brings us full circle.
1: Yeah. Full circle. That reminds me of
2: spirographs.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, I used to use those.
2: Oh, yeah, they're great for design. Did I ever tell you about that last yeah. week? Yeah. Hey, spirographing, is that a skill? Maybe we can use that.
0: I,
1: I think it counts. Isn't that what Spider-Man does? I want to get one of those spiral graphing calculators. It just dawned on me, guys. We always seem to struggle to come up with, like, next week's topic. Why don't we just... Every week we give three skills that pair well with the skill we did and we never go into those skills. Meh, you know. We're giving three answers every
0: That's week. That's the easy way out.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, we're
2: we're, we're cheating and using old topics as pairing uh, skills. As pairing skills.
1: That's pairing skill. It's going to come around eventually.
0: Now it's time for some functional Frankensteining. We haven't done a functional Frankensteining in quite some time. And I've actually got something that I've been working on. Those of you that know me know I like switches. And um, I will overcomplicate something with a switch just because I can. And uh, I have this 1950s, I think it's a 58... Uh, Rockwell Delta DP600. It's the one that came out of the uh, gas meter company that was owned by Rockwell. When I got it, there was a two-button switch on the front that wasn't actually a switch. It was a two-button control, and it was supposed to have, I think it was a power relay to make it work, Mm -hmm. and it didn't. So whoever had set it up totally bypassed that system and just put a toggle switch on the motor in the back. And so that's how you turned it on and off. And I, I acquired a two button switch, a real two button switch. But at the same time, I thought, you know what? I love switches. Let's have more switches. So I put the two button switch on the front, which is a Cutler hammer. It's nice, it's got a little Art Deco styling. And I have, Tanda sent me a whole bunch of 12 volt, like brick plug power supplies that she had an abundance of. So I have like, I don't know, 4,000 of them. And I have a bunch of these safety toggle switches that have an LED at the tip. And so what I started doing about a month and a half ago before I got interrupted by editing work was I, I tore apart the drill press and started running wire and started you know putting this whole system together so that I could have this safety toggle switch on the motor to switch it on to give power, and then there would be power at the two-button switch.
2: Yeah, PJ's talking about a safety toggle switch, and what he, if you aren't familiar with what he's talking about, it's like you see in like a movie or whatever where they have a launch control, and they have this little cover that you have to lift up off of the toggle switch before you can activate it. So that's, that's what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, anytime you see like anybody that's like in a plane or they're about to launch a nuclear missile, there's always like a bunch of toggle the little covers they flip up and then they flip the switch, and they're usually like in a row of like ten of them, they're like, okay, check, 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 check. And I the ones I have are blue plastic. So, and it's a blue LED. So when the blue LED turns on, it hits the blue plastic, and then like the whole thing lights up, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the good stuff. That's what I want to see, right? The more blue, the better. This thing is um. The drill press is like, I don't know, let's say three feet up off of its gang mounted. So it's not like where the switch goes is on the back of the machine and it's three feet high. And I'm trying to like put all this stuff together and I'm running like test leads back and forth. And Tanda and I had talked about this probably, I think, last fall. It was when I got into this switch craze because I ordered a bunch of them. I don't know how it's many. It's been a
2: while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I was having, we're back to the design. <laughs> I was having trouble figuring out the circuit path, like how to actually build, cause I'm building a physical circuit with wires. It's not on a board. I'm just connecting wires together. And so you actually drew me out, like hand drew me a circuit to tell me like where everything was going. And I had to go back today and I pulled up that text message from you and I'm looking at this going, okay, is is that the negative or the positive? <laughs> and I'm and I'm trying to like I'm um, not that you're not what you wrote. You wrote what you wrote was very clear. I'm looking at what's in front of me, going, like is that negative or positive? Like I've got the twelve volt power supply, and it's it's two doubled up black wires. One wire's got a white stripe on it. And I'm like, okay, the white stripe is the positive, right, right. Then i got to call up my friend i call up my friend andrew and i'm and he's andrew is like one of these guys that he like over explains everything like if you ask him a yes or no question he's gonna start quoting like einstein because that's <laughs> how he is right? right so i call him up and i'm like okay dude I, I need a yes or no answer i said is the white stripe on the two black wires is the white stripe to positive and he goes well, you know, uh, if you if, you know, if you if you gotta do a positivity check there, you know, polarity check, you gotta get out the, you know, and and you know, I'm not gonna say that's absolutely right because it could be switched. And, and like ten minutes in, I'm like, "Dandre, I just asked you a yes or no question," and he's like, "Okay, well, I would I would have given I would have given you the exact same answer.
2: Usually, usually, <laughs> usually it is, but I've seen him not be.
0: Well, after after I yelled at him, he's like. All right, well, it's probably a positive, but I'm not going to say definitely. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is not like a nuclear launch, okay? It's either going to turn the switch on or it's not. It's not, nothing's going to explode. It's either going to turn on or it's going to melt the switch and I replace it with another one. That's 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 the worst thing that can happen. He goes, oh, well, well, th- well, then try it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, uh, just tom tagged me in in a a two-button switch recently that he was repairing on a machine and so i give him this big long (laughs) uh, like explanation of uh of how a two-button switch works and how it latches the relay and and locks in the relay and then you have to hit the stop to de-energize the relay and you know it's it's like this long dm and he replies with i think i'm just going to put a vfd on it (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah I saw that. I saw the story he did so this the thing that Tom had was the same thing that I had it just was a different shape, but that's not a switch that's a control that's a yeah was it's what was a real front.
2: it's a real common circuit for yeah controls yeah
0: so um i as i'm as I'm building this whole thing so like the power supply and the little relay so so here are the, here are the parts you've got this this led toggle switch. Which runs off twelve volts, but it's got to turn on a one hundred and twenty volt motor. So you've, you need a twelve volt power supply to power the switch. Then you need a relay, which will operate off of twelve volts because that's the signal coming from the switch. But then it has to, it has to change a one hundred and twenty volt signal. So for some reason, where the one hundred and twenty volt pins are, there's not two pins. There's four pins and that's enough to confuse me <laughs> because it should just be two and I'm looking at the schematic that's on the relay and I'm like all right this, this is too many options
1: <laughs> <laughs> So
0: I got the whole thing hooked up today and um but I had I thought I thought it had the whole thing hooked up and I'm doing my Instagram stories but the the cord that I had run from the switch, I had just run out the back of the drill press. And so I'm telling everybody, I'm like, okay, if everything works the way that I, I think it's going to work, all that should happen when I flip this switch is the LED should turn on. And I flip it, and then the whole drill press turns on. And it's like, oh, I forgot to hook up the other switch. <laughs> so that's why it turned on. Um, but uh, the point is... I did the first, I got it on the first try. Like everything, everything worked. I had everything wired properly, but it looked like Medusa had thrown up from like the switch box down to where I was working. I had like all these allocator clip leads, like just all over. Like it was totally like if you, if you even brushed up against something, you were getting electrocuted. Like there was so many open ends.
2: Sometimes that, um, Sometimes when you're prototyping and you're just kind of putting stuff together with alligator clips or prototyping on a circuit board, um, you'll introduce problems because you're just doing it quick and dirty. And I hate it when that bites you. I hate it when you're working on a problem and you've spent like an hour trying to debug something and it was because you used an old alligator clip that wasn't making good connection or, Mm -hmm. I mean, literally today at work. I was I was helping out a young engineer. He had an ethernet cable that had the little tab broken off so it wouldn't stay in mm-hmm. the connector yep. on the on the PLC. Yep. And I had helped him like a week ago and threw out a cable. I took a cable away from him that didn't have the tab on it and cut the end of it off and saved it <laughs> and, and and saved it so that I could re-terminate it with an end that had the little tab on it. Today Actually, the reason why I didn't leave work a little bit earlier to make it for the podcast recording was because we were trying to find a problem and he had added another component and used another old cable with ah. the, with the tab broken off of it. So sometimes you, you're chasing your quick and dirty solution and, uh, and it introduces problems, but, but prototyping is, is definitely, definitely good before you spend a lot of time You know, building the circuit, making it really neat and getting everything and then finding out you need to make a
0: change. Well, getting back to the switch, um, do you guys know Buddy Mike, Mike Lackinson on uh, Instagram?
2: It doesn't sound familiar. I'll have to check it out.
0: Well, he, he sees my stories and he sees what I'm doing. I've got these two switches to turn on this one drill press. And he goes, he's texting me and he goes, why are you using a relay starter when you have a maintained position on off switch? Right. And I said, because I can. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, 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 and that's why I haven't seen him on Instagram because his head exploded and he, and he just yeah. stopped, he stopped Instagram <laughs> after that. Probably.
0: Yeah. yeah Most of the stuff in my shop I do not because it needs to be done that way, but because that's how I want it that, that's, and that's it.
2: Right. You know, this has reminded me of something that we did that was really fun and, and, actually kind of ties into the Frankensteining in more ways than one. We built this huge like 19-inch rack, not not like a actual like server rack, but we made a wooden rack with shelves, but we made it 19-inch wide because this friend of mine in college, we were building these big amplifiers, stereo amplifiers. And we had built him one of these amplifiers and he had this whole rack of like high-end audio equipment and amplifiers. And... It was all connected to a power switch. And just sitting there not running it, I'm sure it was pulling a lot of power because a lot of these old amplifiers were just on all the time. And he wanted something to make it um, interesting. And so we bought one of those little tiny knife switches like Radio Shack used to sell. You know what a knife switch is? It has the,
0: the open contacts. The handle in the middle and then two, two, two blades and you yeah. open it up like a lever like the Frankenstein switches
2: and like it like in these old Frankenstein movies where like you know Dr. Frankenstein just closes the switch and it electrifies the whole lab and and so he wanted to have a knife switch on it but all we could find were these little tiny ones so it was just kind of <laughs> humorous but we put so we put one of those little tiny knife switches on the side of the cabinet and then of course that couldn't handle you know, you know, a fraction of the power that all these amps were pulling and everything. So we did the same thing you did. We wired the knife switch down to the contacts, or, or not the contacts, but the coil of a relay that could handle everything. And it was just so funny because you'd walk up to this huge case of equipment, and you know, you had to demonstrate it. Anytime we had had folks over, we shared a house, and you'd t- like throw this little tiny Radio Shack knife switch on the side, and then it was like. <laughs> All this stuff would come on, and fans would start running. It was just—it was just humorous because it was like the knife switch in a Frankenstein, Frankenstein lab, but it was about three inches long and turned on all of this powerful equipment.
0: That's the best kind. Yeah. Tiny switch, big effect. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. It was delicious.
1: Let's do it again. Mm.
0: All right, it's time for short and sweet. Tom, you got anything to wrap up the show?
1: No, but I'll think of something. Tanda, what did you, uh, what do you want to say?
2: Oh, I don't know. I think that, uh, I think there are a lot of people in the maker community who are doing, who are tasked with making things for other people. And I just, I, I marvel at their design skills that they can, they can work to a customer's specs and still design something amazing. And, uh, Caro is probably the person that I see most often who, who is, um, you know, Carolyn Hints? is it? I, 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 I think of people by their screen name, not by whatever their, um, but Prop Shop Berlin and some of the stuff she makes. And it's to a customer's spec and the detail and the ability to design something quick and dirty if that's all they've paid for and they need it on a short timeline to something super ornate, and just the planning and and forethought that goes into executing that, designing and then executing that, I'm always always amazed. A good good follow there.
0: I like her stuff too. Uh, she doesn't come up in my feed enough. Every once in a while, I'll catch something, but um, she does do some nice work. When I think about Instagramers makers that make stuff that have been designing cool things that I I've talked about them before. Uh, Pete Square twenty three. He has been doing a lot of shop improvement stuff, and he just did this carousel, uh, the version two carousel that's, it's like a, basically like a magnetic um, file holder, and it's got the outside profile is a circle that's kind of like a gear, and so like each gear tooth is like, you could put your finger in there and rotate the whole thing, but he just upgraded it, so now it has LED lights on the inside. So you could just, so it turns on so you could see like, cause there's, it's it's sort of like an upside down wedding cake. So it has like a big outer ring, then below that is a smaller ring and then it goes to another smaller ring. So you can put like, there's like three layers of magnet rings that you can put files on. And it's it, if it, the light isn't on, it just looks like like a chandelier almost, but you turn the light on, you can actually see everything. He's He's been designing a lot of very cool stuff for the shop that I like, and so I'm throwing it out to him again because you know he's doing. And the stuff is, in my opinion, it's not complicated stuff. Like anybody could do it. Um, he's just figuring it out before you figured it out. That's oh all.
2: And actually doing it. I mean, yeah. Like like Jason at Fireball Tools. I mean, I just bought a set of his hex keys in the little holder, and it's nothing mm-hmm. elaborate. It's just a problem we all have. And rather than complaining about it, he said. I'll design these holders you know that that work well and it's and it's just as soon as I saw it I was like, yeah that solves a solves a problem I'm having at work with the keys I have there and you know yeah design and execute
0: I agree hmm. I agree Tom did you come up with anything
1: yeah um something I was I thought I would bring up in this episode and I didn't is um is designing for user experience i I spend a lot of time thinking about user experience with the things that I buy or the things I want to buy or the things I make, because I think user experience is kind of the over, overriding feature in anything, any product. It's how does it feel? How does it, how does it feel to use it? Not just how does it look? Um, And we don't have to go into a discussion about this. this is short and sweet, but I'd love to talk about that. In the future. Yeah,
2: certainly companies that start with the user experience and work backwards have have much easier marketing
0: um, ahead of them. The only thing I'll say about that is every time I pick up a an item that has a tag on it and the tag has some kind of tactile sensation, like you're touching something that's cardboard, but it feels like compressed velvet, or it feels like leather, but it's cardboard. I want to know Whose job that is? Like, is there a tactile engineer? Like, who's figuring these things out? Material scientist. Something, yeah. Like, I want, I yeah. want to know what that job is, and I want to go touch all their stuff. I, I, I kind of poo-poo that
2: sort of thing, but at the same time, if I open it up and it has that really good look and feel, I immediately it's worth more, and it, and I like it more. So, the, their, yeah. their their job is valuable.
0: As I'm saying, like, you can't see it; you got to touch it. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it looks normal until you're like oh 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 is that velvet I don't know like it thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills if you should need more skill information you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills you can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com you can find me at PJ Galati son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube you can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram, and you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Welcome to The Simple Solution. All right. Well, if you guys are following along my Instagram, I had a major milestone this week. I completed the Delta DP-220 1948 floor model drill press that I have been painting with abstract art for the Universal Woodworker. And James is coming to pick it up on the 16th. And this is one of these long-term projects. This is probably about eight months worth of work, you know, over time. But The problem I have is now that that's done, I have other projects I need to get through. And it's safe to say that if I was not to buy a single tool for the rest of the year, I would be fixing tools probably until this time next year. Like I have hundreds and hundreds of tools to either tune up or restore or repair. And I need you guys help because I don't really have a clear solution to to wad through all these tools
1: so i have a few options for you it's not advice it's like things i've done when i found myself in that situation and you can rate these from you know a scale of one to ten if you wish or however you wish one is um pick the easiest things first and do 10 of them do things like you could probably find 10 things in that pile that you could do in one day even though you have a hundred things, would you say that's maybe accurate?
0: Um, well, if, if by a hundred you mean like a thousand, yeah, that's that's probably accurate.
1: Yeah, but I'll still stick with ten. You could probably get ten of them done pretty quick, right? Um,
0: could I get ten of them done in a day? Probably not. Yeah. I, I might be able to get like five of them done if I hustled. Um, it depends... It depends. Yeah, there's
2: but there's there's probably a few low hanging fruit that you could
1: Yeah. Get some immediate feedback. Yeah. Pick the low hanging fruit. Here's what happens is it builds momentum. It it gives you a sense of accomplishment, a sense of productivity, and it can it can clear out just enough garbage out of your mind to see the real problem for what it is. So that's just one option, right?
0: So basically your idea is batch repair or batch batching the tools out instead of just one at a time get five of them out work on them all at the same time
1: more specifically the easiest ones
0: Uh, okay well when you say easy what i hear is what takes the least amount of time
1: yeah yes that's fine
0: so that's possible Um, yeah
1: yeah no and that can really like that can cut you out of that writer's block you know that's how i see it um you almost have that writer's block where you just you see all you see a thousand projects and you're like i don't know what to do the other thing that helps me Is and I know you're gonna hate this one, throw something away. Find a project that has been just taunting you for the last five years and just let it go. And if that means give it to somebody, give it to somebody.
0: I actually did that. Um there was a guy, the I don't know if you remember, but I had talked about it. I had picked up from Kyle, he had key and Sean had given me this. Um, grizzly belt sander. Uh, it's it's like it's almost the, it's the same as the little one inch by thirty belt sander that you have, the Delta that you picked up, Tom. It's it's sort mm-hmm. of the same thing. Um, it's it's basically the one they sell at Harbor Freight, but they had got it out of a dumpster and it was all kinds of wrong. And I repaired the entire thing. And this guy came and bought it. Uh, I don't know, maybe a month ago. And when I got that from Kyle and Sean, they'd also given me this Grizzly jigsaw. Um, I'm sorry, grizzly scroll saw in pieces, like in a box, like everything was disassembled. All the cast iron parts, it was all screws and knobs and everything. It was, there was no motor and I managed to get like the big chunks back together. And so I'm left with like all these little pieces and I'm looking at this thing and even some of the pieces are broken, it's missing the motor and I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, I can't fix it. What can I do with it? what can I do with it? And I basically moved it around my shop. Like it started at like the workbench area on the floor. It shifted around three different places there. Then it worked its way towards the front of the shop where the garage door is. And then it moved like three times there. Well, this guy came and he bought the one inch belt sander and he was looking around and he goes, oh, that's that scroll saw. is, Is that for sale? And I'm like, that scroll saw is broken and it has no motor. Do you want it? And he goes, well, well, yeah, how much? And I'm like, take it. Just take it. You can have it. You bought the sander. You can have that. I don't want any money. And I said, if you can do something with it, it's all yours. And I don't normally give stuff away. But that thing had literally been tripping over that thing for months. And I just I couldn't I couldn't do anything like it was just it was big. It was heavy. It was missing stuff. To me, it was in my mind, not worth the time. It was unrepairable. There was no way for me to get one of those motors. So um, I was just like I was glad to be rid of it because I was about to just throw it out. I was seriously about to just put it in the trash. And I'm like, something's got to go somewhere. And as soon as he showed interest, I'm like, just have it. it. It's all you, dude. So I have done that, but it's rare.
1: Yeah, no, that that helps me a lot. I just like to let something go. That's good advice,
2: though. I mean, it, it's amazing how much uh, that can occupy your subconscious and your, your creativity if you have outstanding, outstanding, a lot of outstanding things starting to accumulate. And they're within, mm-hmm. you know, your vision, you see them, whatever. And it just triggers something that like, oh, before I do anything else, I should work on that outstanding project. And when you have 20 of those,
1: it can really bog you down. I do have one more thing, but it, it might be, it it might be a little too advanced and that's not, I'm not just hear me out. Just, you're going to have to trust me on this. Pick the most complicated, hardest task, especially one that you definitely don't want to do. Pick that one and just like you know, if it's a tool, pick it up and put it on the workbench and and just focus on that for like an hour. OK, within two hours, you will have procrastinated about that project so much that you will fix 20 other things before <laughs> continuing that project.
0: So I understand your theory. Um, however, that wouldn't work for me. And I'll tell you why. Why not? Um, if it goes on my workbench, I have no place to fix anything else. <laughs> That's the first problem. <laughs> the se-
1: no, this this is this is part of it. Well, maybe maybe you
2: maybe you would sell three things to free up enough space to continue working on something else.
0: Okay, so the the way my space is set up, I have like my main workbench, which is so full of stuff that I have not seen the surface of it in months. And then I, and then in front of that, there's a table, which is like, it's literally a folding table that I made out of a piece of plywood and a baby chair that I found in the woods. Okay. It's just a folds up table. I made myself. That's where I do most of the work. So uh, every, every other flat surface in the shop is full of tools. So there's no other place for me to work. Well, there is a cart, but that is also full of stuff.
1: You need to be building a workbench. I'm telling you, man. Listen, listen. <laughs> go grab that thing. Go grab that. Go grab that thing. Shove it and push all the over so you can put it on the workbench. And within two hours, your workbench will be spotless except for that thing.
0: <laughs> that, that's that's not going to happen. That's uh, uh,
2: it's going to the, the the forced procrastination distraction.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> I put in a patio last week because I didn't want to do another project.
0: The, the problem is not that I don't want to do the projects. That is that is not the thing. I mean, I if I picked up no, if I, I picked up the hard thing, okay, and I put it on the table, yeah. I would immediately start working on it. Like that's not my issue. Oh. That's it's not that I don't. Uh, I forgot your weird. Yeah, like that's my right. process is like here's my process, okay? I go into the shop like today. The first thing I did, I pulled everything out of the evaporust um, dunked it in water, took it outside, hit it with an air hose, put it out in the sun so that it would like bake and get all the moisture off of it. Then I went inside, cleaned up some of the mess. Like I try to clean up like a little bit every day because there's so much. So I try to like put things back where they go or, or put them in a new place. Then I go over to the drill press. I start working on all the wiring for the buttons and switches and stuff. And then I had to leave go run my errands, come back. Then I get back, it's about to rain, so then I had to pull all the stuff that was in the sun back inside. I had to find places for all that to go. Then once that was done, that took like 45 minutes. Then I'm back over trying to rewire the switch, and um, then it was time for me to go eat dinner. So like, I don't know, I did like, what was that, six things? And that's, that's like every day. Like I go in, I do six to 12 things, and stuff gets done, but I'm not working on just like one thing. It's always like so many things. And it's not hard for me to get distracted. Like, I could be like, I could have five tools that I'm working on on that table. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, what happened to that red toolbox I had like a month ago? And then I'll just go wander off looking for the toolbox because I can't remember where it is. Mm-hmm. And it has nothing to do with what I'm working on. But all of a sudden, I remembered I was looking for the red toolbox four weeks ago, and I never found it. And that red toolbox right now is a container of gear pullers, which I don't know where they are. The Shop Pixies move them. I need them because I need to get a helical gear off of a nine-inch Milwaukee angle grinder head, or not the head, the uh, the commutator, and because the ball bearing ate itself. So I need to pull this gear off, and I can't, So I have one of those restaurant tubs that I bought a couple weeks ago, that's full of this disassembled nine inch Milwaukee angle grinder, because I can't get any further because I don't know where the gear pullers are. Because they're in a container that used to be in one part of the shop and the shop pixies move them and now I can't find it. So every day I'm looking like, okay, it's gotta be like underneath one of the drill presses or under a bandsaw or they threw it outside in the grass, like it's somewhere.
2: Some, something that that works for me when I'm, I'm like scratching my head, trying to figure out where I set something down or I can't find something. And if I'm really concentrated on trying to find it and I'm not finding it, I'll just stop, grab a dustpan and a broom. I'll just start cleaning up the bench or cleaning the shop. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of distracts my mind. And at the same time, my chance of finding it while I'm cleaning goes up. But rather than just continuing to look for it, I'll just be like, okay, I'll I'll just start sweeping the floor. I'll just do something else that's productive and let my mind kind of chew on where I last saw it or whatever and and then go find it,
0: especially if it's something I haven't seen in a long time. That's what I'm doing. Like I said, I went into the shop, I cleaned up, I'm doing that.
1: So PJ, I think the simplest solution here is uh, stop stop talking about it and just get to work, man.
0: I mean, you're not wrong. You're not, you're not wrong.
2: You know, one thing that I think a lot of people and our audience probably gets this cuz there a lot of them are makers, but sometimes doing something like wiring your switch, it's not something that needs to be done because it's for you and it's not, you know, for a customer or something. And so a lot of people would see that as, well, why didn't you do this other thing instead of wiring up that switch? And what I think people outside of our community and kind of mindset um don't get is that we we run on i mean that's that's the power that's what we run on is that inspiration Mm -hmm. we get from doing something or creating something we kind of run on the results of that rush of creativity of doing something like that and so they're like well why didn't you just do that instead of the time you spent doing it it's like well i would have gone to bed it's one in the morning (laughs) so i wouldn't have got anything else done anyway But by doing this creative thing, that allowed me to stay up till three and do your thing. But if I ran out of creativity or inspiration, I would have just gone to bed. (laughs) I wouldn't have got, you know, that stuff, that other stuff done anyway, because I would have just gotten really tired and bored and checked out. So I was
0: just recharging. So the thing with the switch is actually three things. And I, I, I didn't really talk about it, but... I started this a month and a half ago, so it's a project that's unfinished. Um, There are tools all over the table to do this project, and I can't put them away because the project's not done. If I put them away, then I have to pull them back out to finish it. So if I finish it, then I can clean up. So that's that's another thing. I wanna clean, but I can't clean because it's not done. The other thing is, it is for me, Like it's something for me, which I don't do a lot of things for me. I'm always doing things to sell to other people. And the last bit is because it's been a month and a half, it's like this open wound that's just in the shop. It's not like it's out of place. The drill press, I had to uh, loosen up the bolts on the gang mount and I had to twist it about, let's say, 40 degrees so that I could access the switch in the switch box that's mounted to the motor so it the drill press looks wrong it's it's like it's running into the walker turner 1100 and uh the mortiser that's next to it so it it doesn't look right so like the whole like the feng shui of the shop is off because it's not facing forward it's not like in a usable position so there's like all three of those things are true so by like working on this i could eliminate three problems at once Mm-hmm. That's that's basically what it's boiling down to. I did that after I completed the Art Deco, the the art, the abstract art drill press. That was one of my main goals. Like once I got that done, that was a huge load off. Then I could go to something smaller. And so you know, once this drill press is done, then I'll move on to something else.
1: See, if I had that drill press with your problem that you just described in my shop. My house would have a new coat of paint on it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I I get what you're saying, Tom. I get what you're yeah. saying.
2: No, I I I got the same um uh, same thing going on in my shop cuz I've got you know maybe a dozen projects still kind of outstanding for people when I when I started the new day job and they're just staring at me, you know, at two in the morning. Um and like I try to keep trying to get stuff knocked off but uh, as as they were described they're the kind of these open wounds <laughs> just just needing attention and there are lots of them and so i try to pick a few off
0: yeah the only thing i could say as far as like motivation wise um and it's not motivation is probably the wrong word uh if it makes me mad that's the thing i'll work on whatever is making me mad if something is off i'll go okay today's your day you're leaving, or you're getting worked on, or whatever it is. Mm. Um, that's like, I, I'll be honest with you. Half the time, that's what gets me out of bed. If I'm angry about something, I'll get up. If I'm oh. like comfortable, I'm like, oh, I'll sleep in another hour. That's
2: good. Inf- that's good information. You should drop a few of them on your foot.
0: That that's mm. uh, I've got steel toe shoes from Carolina. Yeah. So it wouldn't
1: even it. wouldn't even make you angry.
0: No, no. Yeah. That, well, I'd have to pick it up. That might make me angry.
1: Well, if they scuffed your boots, that'd be. That'd
0: be livid possibly but it, something's gonna happen to, eventually was there a solution I'm not sure.